Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law and Courtroom Quarterback. I am Joel Oster. I'm Chris Marone. Chris, great to see you back. It seems like these weeks are shorter and shorter, and uh, I we just finished making our picks, cashing our checks, making our money from our picks, and it's time yep. to do it again. Hey, the Supreme Court is in the news this week, but before we dive in, Chris, I know you are there in Arizona. I am here in Kansas. It is getting cold here in Kansas. Uh, how are things there in Arizona? Have you got my, my golf vacation planned yet? So... Update on the golf vacation front. I actually called a couple of resorts and okay. figuring out what their golf package is looking like. Um, I sh- I'll actually have an update for you probably by Thanksgiving with with the time off that I'm taking to figure this out to be your travel agent. It's going to be Th- that good is times. good. That and you know what you'll you'll get a round out of it for you. I'm telling you. Uh, actually, how how good of a player are you? Um. So I like to walk okay. a lot. <laughs> I like to find my ball somewhere. Okay. Good. Good. I have found out my enthusiasm far exceeds my abilities. I am a horrible golfer, but I like it. Mark Twain said golf is a good walk spoiled. I disagree with that. I went and played last Sunday. was absolutely horrendous. I could not find the fairway to save my life. And I remember telling myself, Jill, it's a beautiful day out here. The trees are changing color. It's beautiful. It's like 60 degrees and sunny, no wind. It didn't matter that I couldn't break 100 on playing nine holes. Hey, that's a whole different story. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed golf. I just wish I was a little bit better at it. So good. I will. Uh, you know what? There is a round in it for you. Uh, if you can find somewhere for me to play golf. On an unrelated note, Southwest just came out with this huge deal where you can now travel for the next three days. You can book your travel for the next four months. And it's like dirt cheap. I'm telling cheap as really? can be. I can fly to Maui. For 183 bucks from Kansas City and back. So it'd be a total of like 350 bucks round trip tickets. So yeah, I will be making my uh, travel. Um, uh, you know, I want to get away this winter, so I'm going to be using the Southwest points. Uh, but it's still, that is, it is dirt cheap. I think I can go to San Diego, California for $99 one way. And here's the thing if you go to Southwest flight and said this, this cheap rate is only available on the non stop routes. What? Nice. You mean like I go nonstop? I can't go these like extra three different stops. And then right. oh. hey, it's great. So I'm gonna be traveling this uh this winter. I am recently a um oh what do you call that term? Uh empty nester, even though my youngest son is still nice. living with me. Uh, he's out of high school, so I don't have a high school schedule to deal with. So my wife and I feel like we are I empty nesters. This. We can travel the world over, and so we are planning on making use of that. All right, well, let's let's dig right into the, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was in session this week. Um, now, Chris, I know you are a Supreme Court follower, but you don't follow things. I don't know if you picked up on this. Let me just throw this stat by you. How many days this month do you think the Supreme Court is working? So like this, this, four. This is, this Maybe is, um, five. Okay, that, that, that's not a bad pick. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's six. I think three wow. last week and three this week, and that is it. They are done for the month. That's a good gig if you can get it. Six days and you are done. Uh, and so we want to make sure we cover some of these cases. This last week, the Supreme Court heard argument in Ramirez v. Collier. And so let me just kind of quickly go over the facts of the yeah, case. Hit that guy. Wanted... What's that? Yeah, I'm ready for this one. This is a good one. I'm going to give you some of the facts here. Then let's, I want to get your opinion, your take on this. I know you have a hot take ready to go. 
<laughs> this one, there are going to be. This is an interesting case because of the conservatives and the liberals. They switched sides from what you would have thought they would have been on, and you kind yeah. of mixed up as well. You got some conservatives intermingled with some liberals. It's a unique grouping there. I don't know what kind of incestuous things they're doing there at the Supreme Court. Let's jump right in before I get myself disbarred. All right. So Ramirez v. <laughs> Collier deals with this Texas policy on allowing pastors, priests, religious advisors, religious, you know, I don't know what the word for that is, uh, but basically your priest, your pastor, in there with you when you're being executed. So the thought is you're going to be executed. Do you, you want your priest there in the room right. praying with you as you pass from this life to the next, laying hands on you and praying? And so I, I want to be careful not to make light of this Um situation because people are actually dying this is capital punishment i do know this is serious business i will point out i recently had to put my black lab down uh inside oh that's sad it it is really sad she was a very very sweet dog i held on to her way too long chris it was really bad it was like i would go to pet smart and i brought coco with me to pet smart to get her her toenails clipped so i had to bring her there a black lab named Coco, like this is like a Disney movie waiting to break my heart. <laughs> I know exactly. And so I was, uh, you know, had Coco on a leash going into black uh, to PetSmart to get her toenails clipped because not like I could do this without her. I got to bring her there, get her toenails oh, clipped, right? Exactly. Right. I had two people stop their car, roll their window down, and tell me unsolicited, "Oh, I'm so sorry, sir." They both two people both rolled down their windows to tell me they're so sorry my dog was in such a sorry shape. So yes, I was the only one not recognizing this. So it was time to put my dog down. She could hardly move. So I Aww. took her there to the vet. I had to hold her paw as they put her down. It was just the right thing to do. So I can kind of see this desire of placing on hands when someone goes from this life to the next. And so that was the issue right. here in, in Ramirez v. Collier. You had a, a, a prisoner there, Ramirez, and he was going to be executed. And he wanted uh, his pa- his, um, uh, his Amon uh, in there to place right. his hands on him and to pray for him while he passes from this life to the next. Well, Texas had this policy. I, I say they had a policy, Chris. It was on again, off again. They, they, they had a policy that allowed for a prisoner to have a spiritual advisor touch the prisoner and pray for them out loud right. when they were being executed. They changed that policy in 2019. And so a lawsuit was brought on behalf of a Catholic saying, look, this policy is, is unconstitutional. You need to allow them to have their... Uh, their, their spiritual advisor, they're praying for them. So they, they sent it back for further evaluation. Well, again, this is the issue now at the Supreme Court. You have a prisoner. Does a prisoner have a right when they're being executed to have their own spiritual advisor there pray with them and uh, lay their hands on them as they pass from this life to the next? Chris, I'm, any thoughts there on this case? But Chris, before I start talking about judges, justices, and who's on what side? Right. Well, short answer. Yeah, they totally do. hundred percent. If we're going to, as a, as a society, if we're going to allow for death to be one of the penalties um, and death penalty cases take forever, right? They take 30 plus years to get to the point where people are executed. Unless you're in Texas, there's a speed lane there, but that's a discussion for a different time, but we should allow 
we should allow people to exit this world with dignity. And if they want to have their spiritual advisor be there, and it could be the same spiritual test that we do for, you know, when we look at um, whether or not it's a recognized religion under the law, under the constitution, you know, I can't have like, you know, all of a sudden I'm the church of Joel and right. I need to have Joel in there with me. But this, this guy is a recognized religion. His Iman, he's a, he's a member of the nation of Islam. He's a Muslim. Like he should be able to have his spiritual leader with them in their last moments as they transition into the afterlife of their choice. Well, let's analyze some of the problems then that there might are some problems come too. up with this. Yes, there is. I, I agree with you. We're going to unpack the law here, but let's just from a real practical sense, what might be the problems? Because that's one of the arguments that was made in this case. Look, the federal right. government allows for this. Uh, I believe Mississippi uh, allowed for, or maybe it's Alabama. Uh, and, and so this has been allowed, but what are the problems, the practical problems? Well, here's one of the practical problems. Some prisoners only find religion late in the day. They use this request as a stall tactic to delay right. executions, which is not uncommon. You don't want to face the death sentence and right. not full disclosure. I am not a supporter of the de of the capital punishment. I do not like it. I, I see all the frailties in the legal system. And so I just, there's a part of me that does not like the capital uh, punishment system. I'm, I'm way too pro-life for that, but that being I love that. Said, I love that stance. I love that we're both at that point where yeah. we're both liberal and conservative don't believe in the death penalty. I love this. I know. I, a lot of my conservative friends go, oh, no, it's totally different than pro-life. And I get the argument this person committed a crime, but still, Life we is see sacred. the legal system and we see the errors. We see how the system is not being played out fairly. Uh, you People with money are able to buy better verdicts and get the capital punishment off the table than those with less money. Indeed. I just don't like the system. And again, that's just me. You see right. the errors and, and I just would hate for someone wrongfully accused uh, to be, be executed. But nonetheless, right. Um, you're, you're in a, a closed confines of a room and this is, you know, um, a, a needle that is a lethal injection that could kill someone. Yep. That's, that's why you're here. Someone's going to die and there is a needle in the person. You're going to bring an outside person to this closed quarters confines to the conservative justices. This is a problem uh, because right. this is a safety problem, a huge security problem. One of the arguments that was brought up is that, look, there's been several instances where people have been executed and have had their, their spiritual advisor in there with them. No problems. To which Kavanaugh responded, don't give me your stats, your 100% record, because those were the state's employees. That was the state chaplain. That's a much different scenario than when you are so, wanting your own private spiritual advisor to come in. Right. Again, you have a needle in the room where murderous substances are going to be flowing through that you know, lethal substances. Right. It is a, 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 a safety issue. My, my question to the, to Kavanaugh's rebuttal, which is a fair question on his behalf is how many Amans does the state of Texas employ? What is his, does the state of Texas provide an option for a state hired um, representative for each religion? Right. Or do you have to be a subscribing Christian to that chaplain's denomination, whether he's he or her is Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic, Mormon, uh, non-denominational? Where, where's this chaplain's at? So I think that if I think the argument would have been stronger if Texas said, no, we had an Amon, 
that could come in, but Ramirez wanted his own Amon. Right. 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 So I think that that, that's something we could, that could be looked at as well as saying, well, now Texas has to provide paid clergy for major religions. And that, that becomes a little bit of a problem. Uh, it's right. one hand, if there is a, a chaplain and they, let's say they have a chaplain that's Muslim and they have a chaplain that is, is Christian and the, the major face, they have a, a chaplain. So look, you can have right. one of a Jewish chaplain. All right. You can have one of our chaplains do it. Uh, we, 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 we vetted them. There's a little bit more secure issues there. Right. Um, right, right. That would be one issue, but just to allow your own private spiritual advisor might be a, a, a tougher issue. And by the way, these hypotheticals, this is what the court will be considering right now. Because the court, oh. I, I think, is going to try to create some kind of precedent. They set some standards and some guidelines for all these, um, you know, prisons, systems, uh, and governors in various states to, to follow. And one of them might be, look, just have your own paid chaplain do the process. Now I do know that will not right. meet all these concerns because here it's like, we don't want the state chaplain to do it. I want my own personal spiritual advisor. And so, uh, now mm-hmm. let's, let's ha- unpack it from that perspective. You bring in your own personal spiritual advisor. All right. Right now. I so, assume right. they can strip search this person before they go into the room. It's not like this person can come in yes. there and hide and conceal some guns. Right. And then they're going to, they're going to do a break or knives or anything or anything. Right. right? That's not going to happen, right? They're gonna, he's going to be strip searched. They're going to know he's not bringing anything in there. Uh, and right. the doors are going to be locked. I don't think anyone's contemplating that kind of scenario. Another thought is going to be, look, we're going to draw the line here. We're going to say, you can put your hands on this person. Um, we're, you, you can pray with them out loud. But once we start I- inserting the lethal injection, you have to maybe move off to the side. So you can put, put your hands on them right. until that point. And uh, so maybe it's like when we administer the um, uh, the first dose, by the way, I don't know if you've ever studied the administration of lethal injections. The first one kind of paralyzes you, knocks you out. Yes. The lethal dose comes next. And so the prisoner would then right. be knocked out. So maybe the person could have their hands on him praying until they're unconscious. And then they have to step aside right. when they do the lethal injection. So that might be a possible you know, middle road, if you will, where they can meet them. Again, the Supreme will have to, to analyze if they're, where that middle ground might be. All right, let's. Right. Ca- so those are some of the concerns that the various sides are, are throwing out there. You know, one side is saying, look, this has been done. There's no real safety issues, no real safety concerns. The other side is saying, oh, the, the, this is a, a ca- crowded room. Only three people could be in the room. I think the Supreme Court is saying we can probably figure out those issues. What is the law as it applies to this scenario? What what kind of law will be? Well, the law is called RELUPA. Uh, I know we've talked about RELUPA before. It's kind of an odd sounding name. It's called the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. It's a federal law. And it goes like this. Now, first of all, Chris, it deals with land use. I have no idea why they decided to combine land use and prisoners' rights, but they did. But uh, it also involves prisoners' rights. And here's how it goes. If, if the prison, if there's a prison policy that imposes a substantial burden on your religious beliefs and practices, that okay. policy has to pass strict scrutiny, which means there has to be a compelling governmental reason for it, and it has to be narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. So right out of the gate, this policy, right. that, so let's assume, is this a substantial burden on your religious beliefs and practices? Well, I mean, I would say yes. 
Yes, in my very last moments before I reach whatever deity I believe in, which is the point of religion, right? We're all here worshiping a deity in the hopes of somehow getting back to live with that deity in the afterlife. Right. That's a, that's a fair generalization of all religions. Um, Here's what the courts cannot do. The courts cannot say your beliefs are stupid or idiotic. And so, correct. Uh, of course, can, whatever your beliefs are, that's what your beliefs are. So the court really can't question that. But Chris, what the court can do, the court can question how sincerely you hold those beliefs. So that's where I kind of think this will be litigated. I think the courts will say, look, if you just came up with the, this religious belief two days ago to file this petition at the last minute, but you never before expressed this desire, that's going to be a problem. That's going to cast doubt right. as to whether you really sincerely hold this religious belief or did you just find it yesterday as a means to delay execution? So I think the court's going to be able to weed out those claims based upon how right. long have you tried to assert this claim? A any thoughts on that? So a couple things, right? My, my mind immediately goes back to law school because this was one of my favorite cases to talk about in con law, and it was the Church of the Lakumi Babaluai versus right. the city of Mount Hialeah. Um, I could never say wife, that name. I could never say that name. <laughs> well, my wife's Hawaiian. So this is okay. the village from where her family comes. That makes so sense. So that's also fun because I nerded out like that. And I'm like, oh, it's the city of Mount Hialeah. And she's like, how do you pronounce? Like, how? She's like, white boy, how did you figure this out? And I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you about the church of the Lakumi Babaluai. Wow. Um, I am just, I am impressed. I'm telling you, I know you have great insights to tell us here in just a bit, but I am but sitting no. here impressed at how you just ran through that, uh, oh that my gosh, name favorite case effortlessly. So, so my insights are, yes, you need to have a deeply held religious belief that didn't show up 20 minutes ago. Right. Now people in prison find God often. One of the, one of the, one of the, um, organizations that I'm involved with in, through my church is a prison ministry. And we go into prisons here in Florence, Arizona, and we talk to inmates and we help them understand repentance and forgiveness and all of that jazz. So I often see men, uh, cause I, I don't deal with the women's prison. Um, I often see men repenting and becoming more Christ-like in their actions. Now, this is a process um, for those that are members of faith understand this. Um, so finding religion 20 minutes before you're going to die, the, the court has to weigh in on that because right. your deeply held religious belief may be, how can I get someone else in the room with me to, to help me escape or to help me derail this process or even if they bump it, right? If they bump the machines that are inputting the drugs, right. there's a whole, there's a, there could be a family civil case of, um, um, sixth amendment issues when it comes to punishment, right? That right. it can't be torturous. It can't be stuff like that. So there is a big issue of this discussion because there's a lot more things at play, whether or not this person is legitimate in their faith belief. And if they're legitimately bringing someone in, to disrupt the process or to ruin the process or do anything like that, the court has to weigh that. We have to have that as part of the discussion. So if you um, uh, get past that first hurdle, is this uh, a, a burden, a substantial burden on your sincerely held religious beliefs? And again, the court's going to look at how long have you held this belief? Uh, you know, certain kinds of, hey, the stinks factor. Uh, but once the court gets past that, then the next issue is going to be, is this, Prison policy, is it narrowly tailored to achieve a significant uh, or compelling governmental interest? And so here, right. 
what the arguments are going to be made is look, what is, um, what, what, what is the state's interest here? It is, because keep in mind the federal government and other states allow for a spiritual advisor to be in the room. So it's not like Indeed. they can't do it. If your interests are security, then you're going to have to answer why all these other prisons are able to do this. Are they not concerned about security? Uh, you know, so is this really a real reason you're giving? Another thought here is uh, in one of Texas's previous versions of this policy, they allowed for a Christian to have a spiritual advisor, but not other faiths. Well, well, hold on a second there. That's not going to pass muster. You, right. you can't you can't uh, defend a policy on a security basis when you allow some people to have their spiritual advisor, but not others. And so that was very problematic. And, and so, again, and whatever the state's interest is, right? Uh, you, it's the the state should. I'm sorry. It should be problematic because the state should not be endorsing one religion over another. Right. That's not what the First Amendment says. So I think it's very problematic where Texas just allows Christian chaplains and, uh, you know, members of the Jewish faith or nation of Islam or Hindus or Buddhists. Um, unless you want to make the claim now that only Christians commit crimes worthy of the death penalty. And that's a whole different discussion we can have for later. Right, right. All right. So now before we finish our thoughts on this, I want to go over the justices. I do want to take a, take a pause here to just ask what is low on battery on your side? I hear this lady's voice coming over our airway saying low really? battery. Um, I don't hear it at all. You don't hear that? No. You don't hear the low battery lady coming in? Not even a little bit. Wow. What is low battery? Something I, hey, if, we, if we die I'm here. I'm on my and, Bluetooth. And my Bluetooth is showing, no, it should be fine. I'm not hearing low battery at all. Interesting. Well, we are good to go. If she comes up again, I'll say, hey, lady, butt out here. I don't care how low our battery is. We are going forward. Well, nonetheless, the last thought here is, how do we think the Supreme Court is going to decide this case? Because it's interesting. You have basically four justices who are kind of in line with supporting uh, the prisoner's religious beliefs here. Now, Chris, I, I want you to give a fair answer here, but I just told you that four of the justices are very much concerned about the free exercise rights of a prisoner. Based on how the Supreme Court ruled in previous free exercise cases, who do you think are those four justices? Oh, it's the conservative block for sure. It's Justice uh, Thomas, it's Alito, it's Roberts, it's Gorsuch, it's Amy Comey Barrett, it's... That whole team. Yep, you only got one of them right. You batted 20%. I hope you do better with your picks. Uh, it oh. would be the three liberals all of a sudden now care greatly about religious exercise. So you got Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer. Amy Coney Barrett joined them. The new conservative is now with the others. Say, hey, look, I care about religious free exercise, uh, religious rights here, and this is a problem. And so the issue, it, now the, on the other side, you have Alito, Roberts, and Kavanaugh all seem to be going against the, and Thomas seem to be going uh, in favor of the state and against his prisoners' religious beliefs, which again, very odd. I don't know. You know, they're, they're conservative. They, uh, they tended to be in favor of free exercise rights in the past. Now they're putting state security interest above free exercise rights. Right. This is all going to come down to one justice. Um, it's going to come down to, to Gorsuch. And do you know what Gorsuch said during oral argument that kind of played his hand? No, I have no idea. No one does. He said nothing. Absolutely Zip. nothing. 
he decided I'm going to impersonate my favorite Justice Thomas here and not say a <laughs> word. And uh, yeah, we have no idea. It's almost like he knew he was a swing vote. He was going to leave, keep everyone guessing. And so he was silent, did not utter a single word. We have no idea which way he is leaning, but that's going to be the, those are the issues that play there in that case. I think the court is probably going to rule in favor of, I'm going to go with the, the, the prison, the prisoner here. Uh, I think yeah. Ramirez, they're going to rule against Texas, but they are going to lay out the framework for how these decisions can be analyzed in the future. Because I think the state's uh, security interest, it is significant. It is real. Uh, but then again, so are the other interests involved. You got a federal law that says the state's interest must be compelling and right. the least restrictive means of possible to achieve that interest. It might even be a 9-0 decision, even though we heard various, uh, you know, uh, disagreements by, by the conservative right, right. court. They all might say, look, we need to come up with a rule. So this is our rule going forward. Now send it back and apply that rule. And then we'll, we'll see if you did it right at the end of the day. All right. Moving on now to our next case. Federal Bureau of Investigation, also known as FBI for short. Love them. The Fasaga. And in this case, this dealt with... When can you sue the federal government here, the FBI, because of one of their um, surveillance, you know, uh, missions? Programs. So what, what happened here? Yeah. You had three Muslim Americans, and they claimed that the FBI discriminated against them based on their religion during a surveillance program. Apparently, these three Muslims who are residents of Southern California, they regularly attended this religious uh, service at the Islamic Center of Irvine. And they mm -hmm. thought, and they, they believe the FBI had used a confidential informant to conduct a covert surveillance program that uh, lasted well over a year, about 14 months, at that Islamic center. And they thought they were being targeted because of their religious identity. Normally, that would be a free exercise violation. But here's the deal, Chris. When you have a surveillance program, theoretically, the FBI they're doing that surveillance for national security reasons. You're not going to just air out your national security uh, agenda, your, your strategy out there in open court. That's just not how these things play out. That that's it's your national security. And so there's something called a state's secret privilege. And that has been applied to say, look, when state's secrets are involved, it, you, you you can't litigate this in court. Uh, it's it's totally out of bounds. Uh, again, or because of a national security, it's such an important interest. We are not even going to let this case go forward. And so, yes, even if the government targeted you for religious because of your your religious identity, you, that cannot be litigated in court. All right, Chris. So uh, up against that, uh, states' secrets privilege is section. 1806F of FISA. And what this section does, it allows, it establishes a mechanism for a federal district judge to privately review a surveillance uh, program, surveillance information, uh, when a regular public hearing would harm a national security. Now this, the question here is, does this 1806F of FISA displace the state's secrets privilege and requires the district court to adjudicate the merits of plaintiff's claims using information protected by the privilege? So is this 1806F a, a separate trial, if you will, an in-camera trial of these surveillance programs uh, or does the state's secrets privilege still exist? Uh, any thoughts on, on this case? I think, I mean, um, first off, it's, this is a lot of procedure 
right? If for kids listening at home or for people who aren't lay attorneys, like this is a lot of in the weeds legal maneuvering. Right. Right. To protect this idea of state secrets. Now, I think that um, the government has a under any sort of um, scrutiny review has a compelling case to protect state secrets um, post 9-11 world of terrorism and and the, the targeting of people who could or could not be terrorists. It's a it's a very it's a vague line. Do I believe that an in-camera review of an entire case is lawful? Not even a little bit, right? Our Constitution protects this idea that you're allowed to examine witnesses and you don't have to testify against yourself and you don't have one side. This is also why I have problem with grand juries, but that's a whole nother okay. podcast we should talk right, about. Right. Um, but this is, it shouldn't be a trial. A judge should not be able to adjudicate an entire case based on an in-camera review without equal representation from both sides about what the case is. So I, I think that, that this section has... It's hard because I don't know the state secrets, right? But I right. think we need to limit – we always need to limit government power. The, um, the, the government should never have rough shot over everything. They shouldn't – I don't think a blanket state secrets thing should exist, but I understand the importance of protecting – so it's a weird balancing act. So I don't think it should be a full trial. I guess long, long story short, which is too late for this point, um, <laughs> they should not have – it should not be considered a full hearing in an in-camera review. Well, it sounds like you are against this, but then you would go way to the other end, which is get rid of the state's secrets privilege. You would say, hey, let's air this out in trial. Let's put this out in the open. When the reality is, if they don't allow for this in-camera review, they're not even going to get their fair their, their day in court because the Supreme Court is going to say, look, the state's secrets privilege exists. National security interests loom large. And so you are now kicked out of court as well. And yeah. I kind of think that's where the Supreme court is, is going. And because there's a lot of practical problems with this in camera trial. One of the problems that came up in this case was look, there are various other defendants in this case as well. What you're going to have an in camera review, uh, when these other defendants whose, whose livelihood is at stake here, whose pocketbooks, whose life savings is going to, is on the line here. They can't participate, and so they're not going to know what's going on. They, they will not know how to defend themselves. That's right. not the American way. And so not even a little bit. according to the, these conservative justices, that's a reason why this should not be its own trial, and there is no trial at all because the state's, right. the state's secrets privilege is exists and will carry the day and will block this from being litigated in a federal court. In both of these cases, we are expecting a decision probably sometime in, in the spring. All right. Chris, now I'm going to go to a case that does not involve the U.S. Supreme Court, but it is no. a fascinating case for my class. And I, again, I am just finishing up Very my book right now called Undue Process. And uh, Chris, we're, we're going to be hawking that book big time here on this podcast. I hope you get your own copy. I'll send you a copy. Uh, but nonetheless, we're, in that book, we unpack the crazier side of the law. And our, our takeaway is there's a real reason. There's true benefit for unpacking the crazier side of the law. This case I'm about to run by you would be a perfect addition to this book. So here's, this is like a law school exam kind of question. Here, here is the, uh, here's what happened. All right, there were two couples there in, uh, 
in California. My goodness, we have a lot of California cases today. But these these two couples went to an IV uh, uh, in vitro fertilization clinic. And so you go to these clinics and they'll take the egg from the woman and the sperm from the man and they combine them together. Right. They implant that into the lady so the lady then can give birth to a child, right? You, you get that. Well, these two couples went there and you see where the story is going. They mix up. They, they, they took the completed ovum, I don't even know what the word for it is, but egg and, and sperm, they, they took that completed package, if you will, put it in the wrong lady. Now, Chris, right sad. there, this right. is it's the- just sad. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, I, I even right. know where to begin. By the way, you remind me when I get done with the story to tell you about another actual lawsuit that's going to push the boundaries of R-rated for this podcast. But nonetheless, I will tell you that story here at the end. If you remind me to tell it to you, I'll have to right. work on how can I'm I tell it down. to you in such a way that keeps this family friendly. But nonetheless, in this particular case, they put this completed egg and sperm into the wrong lady. Now, right. you might be thinking, listeners, how would they know? I mean, how would you find out they put the wrong, uh, you know, uh, egg into the wrong lady? Well, uh, here's how that would happen. A month <laughs> There's later, a couple ways. Yeah. A month later, one of the, the mothers uh, looked at her child. So both of them gave birth to healthy babies. A month later, one of the mothers looked at her child and said, huh, this does not look like me, my husband, or the mailman, and this uh, is not even the same race as uh, as we are. So this is a, this is a concern, right? Uh, there's some some red flags there that something went wrong with this in vitro fertilization implant, and so that's when they went back, and it was discovered. Oopsie Daisy, we put the wrong, uh, you know, uh, uh, egg and uh, sperm combination into the wrong person. Chris, do you have any thoughts there uh, as to this legal scenario? One, it's sad, right? Can we can just, the law aside, right? This is just a sad situation. People who go through IVF, maybe this is a little too personal. My wife and I have been trying to have kids for a long time. We've done the IVF process a few times. It is emotionally destroying people. It wow. is a very, very difficult process when you're injecting hormones, when you're trying to figure out having a family, wondering all sorts of psychological issues. So putting that out there and okay. putting that kind of to the side, to the legal side, um, finally having that miracle happen of being able to get pregnant, finally having all of the things that you've always wanted and paid again in America, you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. to do this process. Wow. Um, that finally the miracle of science has produced this life for you. And then birthday that everybody is so excited for happens. And in this case, specifically the baby is a different race. So that was like the first indication, right? That, that would be an indication, maybe there yes. was a mistake here. The baby doesn't look like me or mom. We're both Anglo-Saxon and this baby comes out African-American. That's going to be your first indication that something went wrong because something it is, is a, something right. is aloof, right? Because it's not a cheating situation because you went to a lab, and uh, so oh so there's obviously civil ramifications for the the negligence on the lab. Um, this is obviously a race ipsa loquitur like sort of situation where there's not going to be a lot of duty to prove, right? 
anything because the proof is in the pudding, for lack of a better phrase. Um, <laughs> is that what you call? I was struggling with the the right term for that sperm right. and egg combination. You're calling it pudding. Okay. Well, that I did not realize. I can see how it's a pudding mixture. I'm learning this new terminology. Unfortunately, Chris, that will now be stuck in my brain and I'll be, always be calling it pudding from here on out. Uh, but yeah, I like this. So this is a law school exam. I'm giving you a, a law school exam here. I'm saying analyze the various legal issues and you come up with now civil liability. I assume breach of contract. Right. All right, against the the, the fertility clinic. Um, what, what happened? So what what actually happened here in this case was yeah. the one of the parents saw this. Hey, this is this is different, and then the parents met. Now, Chris, can you imagine the um, when your baby is born? And, and the, the feelings that you have for that newborn baby, and uh, and then you live with that baby for a month, you are caring, and then to have, you realize that's not my baby. I, I yeah. but it's still, it, still, it is your baby because you cared for it, and the baby came out of your womb. And so, Chris, this does kind of beg the question: Why is this not their baby? I mean, again, is DNA the sole determiner? Or is it the fact that you birthed this baby? Does right. that play a part into the legal analysis? We know here they did not litigate this. The, the parents just decided amongst themselves, let's just switch babies. Uh, we're one month into this. This is a very uh, unpleasant situation, but this is the best call from here on out. Let's just switch babies. So there was no lawsuit. If there had been a lawsuit, I wonder what would win out. Would it be the DNA? Or would it be you birthed this, you uh, grew this baby inside your womb, and it came out of your uterus? That makes you the mother of this child, uh, which would then be interesting. Who would then be the father? But what what do you think would be the proper legal analysis, even though the courts were not involved? Correct legal. They're really... The correct legal, I think that the baby is, and maybe this is getting off topic because it's a close to home subject for me, but I think giving birth to the child, there's an inextricable, uh, there is a bond that is between the mother and child because right. of the birthing process. Um, there's something, I, I don't know if it's divine or if it's, or if it's emotional or serotonin or whatever, but when you when you birth an infant, and again, I'm a guy. I've never birthed a child, but I have to assume that there is some sort of bond that is created in that moment. Whether yes. the child is DNA yours or not, you've carried that child, you fostered right. that child, exactly. you've grown that child. Um, I can tell you that in in the the times that my wife has been able to have a child before we've lost it via miscarriage, I loved that child in the moment I knew it existed. Right. Um. So I think that there's no damage calculator that can properly compensate because that's what the law does, right? We, we try to compensate with monetary recompense for these types of actions. There's no sliding scale of how much money does this fertility clinic have to pay to these couples for screwing something up so horribly. Right. And, and and then what is the, the court fight? Because we know civil cases take forever to get to court. This isn't something that's going to, like a criminal case, you have a set time and a set trial and all this stuff. But civil cases take years. So that kid's going to be sitting there in court going, the mother and father going, this isn't my child. 
And what sort of psychological damage are you going to do to that going, sorry, we're suing, you know, ABC IVF because they screwed up and put the wrong child in me. Like, what does that do to the psyche of your child or the dynamic of your family or all that? Like, this is one of the worst non-death situations that you could think about in the law or to put on any sort of law school exam. Because this is what the argument would have to be. You'd be basically making the argument in court. Like you said, testifying, the mother and the father would have to be testifying. Yes, I cared for this child greatly. I developed bonds. It wasn't my child. I felt cheated. Uh, I wanted that child. Whatever they're going to say, attorneys put horrible spins on it. Yeah, the, the the actual real, you know, your child currently, the one that's in your house that you are raising, who's now six, seven, ten years old, is, is listening to this entire uh, testimony. Say, well, you didn't love me. You didn't. I wasn't the one you wanted. Uh, you know, things like that. And so this is probably a great example of where the law just simply cannot provide the remedy uh, here. The remedy is wholly outside of the law. These couples, it appears, have done the right thing, at least from my perspective, of going outside of court. So we're not going to litigate this. That is just a recipe for disaster. And Chris, you and I both know this, but the general public doesn't necessarily know this. There are usually... is not a winner in lawsuits. I mean, the winner is going to be the lawyers who bill the hours, but the actual parties involved, you just wasted 10 years of your life for really nothing. And so I hate to be the bear of bad news. Uh, litigation just sucks the joy right out of your life. At least it does tend to do that. So I'm glad these couples were able to resolve this issue outside of, of court. Right. Right. But, but what's the solution, right? What, what there is no, the IVF clinic, I'll all they can the do solution. is give them money. Oh, that's I'll, it. The legal solution is what you're at. What is the legal solution? Right. Well, what's any solution to this? Well, you I mean, love the solution them. is that they're going to the love solution. their kid no matter what, right? They're, right. So you love the your solution kid is you're going to love the kid. Right. And Chris, you do this. You love the other kid as well. You let the other parents raise that kid, but you mm-hmm. recognize what the person yeah. did and you love your kid and you love the other the one. Other it's kid. really yeah. not complicated. People will right. make it complicated because they get greedy. You just have tolerance and love all love around right. and, and things will turn out. Hey, I got, I'm getting off my soapbox. I was on my, I know. Did, you, did you catch me on my soapbox? I did. And it, it, well, this is the perfect one to do it on, right? This is something that's outside the law, but within the law. And it's just a tough topic to go on. Yes, yeah. They uh, people expect an answer when really the answer is, you know what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Just love your child. Recognize the other person is also struggling with this. Give them room to struggle with this as well. Uh, be empathetic to their situation and then love wherever you can. Uh, but hey, that that's just my take on it. I uh, so I this is a horrible segue, Chris, but I, I I gotta do it. And so there was this. Um, uh, I, I teach this class. Uh, of debriefing the law. We go over the wacky uh-huh. cases in the law. And I uh, was, in, I forget where I was in. I, I think I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And this person, I, I usually allow for a, a moment in time during the class for the class to give me the craziest case that they had ever experienced. And so this lawyer shared this experience. Now, this was not his own personal experience. This was a law school case that this person studied and and analyzed and debated. And so he felt like this was a a crazy, wacky case to share. And it deals with kind of these issues. So I'm going to share it now, though I'm going to struggle because I want to keep this PG rated. All right, so here's the here's the law school question. All right, you have um, this couple uh, who went to um, 
uh, you, you had this couple who w- went to a drive-in movie theater. All right. Oh, okay. you had a, uh, you had you had a, a couple in front, and then you had a couple in back. Well, the couple and everyone starts to get a little um, handsy. Is that the right word for it? I guess. Okay. And started okay. kissing on each other, things like See that. This? And, this? and yep. so the couple in the front then have. Um, carnal relations uh okay. i got got busy with it i think you know yep. what i mean they use protection in sexual congress yes that is the phrase i'm looking for in sexual congress there you go and mm-hmm. they were using protection and so they used a, a condom all right you got that yeah have i cool. have protection. i crossed the line yep. yet no you were there we're still in the pg family friendly section all right, I'm about ready to cross over. So the okay. couple in the back also were getting going in that direction, but mm-hmm. they were not as prepared. They were not Boy Scouts oh. in the back. And, and so um, they needed um, uh, some protection, if you will. And, they, and yep. the person in front said, oh, we're done. Here, use this. No, now, it, hard no, hard <laughs> no. Did, did I say that carefully? Yep. So you kind of get no, the gist of what exactly I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you were talking about. Okay, so they they passed that wrapper, uh, if you will, to the people in the back used, seat. Used prophylactic. Yes, yeah, exactly. They used that in the back seat uh, to then do whatever they were doing back there. You can oh. see where this is going. Uh, yep. The person in the back seat became pregnant. Yep. Okay, you got that. Yep. Who? This. I know who, how pregnancy works. Who is the father? Because That's, it was no. the DNA, the semen, from the guy in the front seat who impregnated the lady in the back seat. And so the issue is, okay, but it was just on his wrapper that he let the person in the back seat borrow. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so that is a, that was a Supreme, not Supreme Court case. That was an actual court case. And I don't know the actual outcome. I, I cannot tell you that I, I do not know. I think it was a DNA won the day, but I am yeah. not sure on that. You think Man, that's the a DNA whole, wins the day? Gosh, that's a whole nother problem, right? Thinking you got your girlfriend pregnant to come to find out it's a dude from the front seat. <laughs> wow. I don't even know where to begin with that. Uh, right. But nonetheless, actual court case. And now you know why my classes are so fun. All right. Oh, they're awesome. Let's now move over to courtroom quarterback. Let's talk a little courtroom quarterback and there's so much to unpack that I don't even know where to begin uh, because we only have a a limited period of time here to talk about these issues, but we are at the halfway point of this, um, this NFL season. So Chris, I want to today to hand out some halfway awards and offer our thoughts as to where we have been and where we are heading towards the Super Bowl. And then I want, before we conclude this podcast, I want to rag on the college playoffs to give my thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. All right, first of all, let me Got throw it. it there to you. Uh, who um, who would be your MVP candidates for this, uh, this year so at the halfway point? At the halfway point, Kyler Murray is, is nearing the top three of my list. I'm going to go th- top three, and I'm going to start at number three with Kyler Murray. What the Arizona Cardinals organization has done um is obviously the thing that dreams are made of right now they are they are definitely showing up even last week when we didn't have kyler in um and we still won against the 49ers which hurts but it was an obvious win um kyler murray he's got to be in my top three he's just performing this season at a level that we knew he could when he was drafted by the cardinals 
Well, I did not see that coming. I, I, I know he was the number one pick. I did not see yep. him being this good. He is having a great year. What is your record? Seven and one or eight seven, and one? Seven and one, but with Kyler, it's six and one because he didn't play last game. But yeah. So you're six and zero oh then with with Kyler. So Kyler did not play the game he lost. No, he no, he lost that game. He oh, played he that okay. game. He, right. That was the loss to um the Green Bay Packers. Ah, I see. I got you. So uh, yeah. he is doing well. He's definitely going to be an MVP candidate. Also, an MVP MVP candidate is your boy Matthew Stafford out there for the Rams. Yep. He's having a great year. Uh, that was a great trade for the Rams. Yep, uh, he was my but, number, he was my number two. He was my number two pick. I hate to say this, but also. Thomas Brady is in the category is in the, the, is. the running there. I, I, I think those three are your top three picks. Uh, he's 45 or he, he, I don't know how old he is. 55, 65, somewhere in there. Um, and he is uh, having a great season so far. I expected him to flounder this year. At some point in time, father time is going to realize where Tom's address is and knock on his door, but it hasn't happened yet. He is throwing ropes with the football. And so yeah, I think of the of those three, those are your three favorites. Uh, I did not say Patrick Mahomes, and that does hurt me not to mention his name. Uh, of those three, who do you think is going to win it? Honestly, I think it's going to be um, Matthew Stafford because I think Matt's going to take uh, the Rams all the way to the Super Bowl. He's going to have a, an elect year. I think Tom Brady is is you know he is the goat. There's no discussion about how great Tom Brady is, but I don't think that it's his year. I'm just I, not I there with it. I think Stafford is a feel-good story. The Rams, they want that in presence there in, in L.A. and having the MVP out there in L.A. is going to be huge for, for ratings. Right. I think all signs point towards Matthew Stafford. And Unless he I takes think, a dive, right? We're halfway through the oh, season. Of course. He can take we're, a dive. We're assuming that's not going to happen. Right. I think right. the opposite's going to happen. I think that defense out there in LA is so stellar and amazing. They're going to give their offense plenty of opportunities. He's going to be given every opportunity to win the MVP. And I think Matthew Stafford will be it. All right, rookie of the year. I know you and I have both uh, talked about two different candidates for rookie right. of the year. I'm going to give you my pick, and then I know you're going to probably think I'm crazy. I, no. I, you have another one, and I like your pick as well. But I'm going with Mac Jones. I, I just I here's the reason why. I, love I, it. I hate the Patriots. I, I can't tell passion. how much I hate the Patriots. We hate I, them. I, I hate the, the the McCheater. Well documented on this podcast how much yes, we hate the Patriots. Not stand the McCheater, uh, Bilicek. Uh, yeah. I hate Alabama. I hate everything about this team. That's right. why I just feel so confident he's going to go on a tear here. They're going to win out. They are going to – I know he has a tough schedule. They are doing better of late. Uh, he is making better reads, better passes. He is learning quickly. He reminds me of a very young Ben Roethlisberger where they started him off very Ooh. slow there in Pittsburgh, but he got going late and they had a great running game. Now, I'm not sure – they have as good of a running game out here in uh, in New England, but they do have a decent enough coach. He's going to find ways to protect this quarterback. He's going to develop uh, slowly but surely. I I think Mac Jones is um is is going to win Rookie of the Year. I I think that's a good bet. Mac Jones is in my top five to win Rookie of the Year this year, and for all the same reasons, right? And I think he's going to turn New England a little more Mac Jones and a little less Bill Belichick once he proves himself. A little bit more, I think Bill will ease up the leash a little bit and allow Mac Jones to do some Mac Jonesy things. Okay, but you have a different pick on who's going to win. I do. I've got Jamar Chase, and, I, and I, what I, he—that's good. 
I mean, what he's done in Cincinnati this year, the the program that is Cincinnati this year is amazing. Um, almost to the effect of, um, you know, just just breathing new life into Cincinnati, yes. into the Bengals, into what's going on. Um, really just showing up. Just I think. Uh, with him and the and well, it's not a rookie quarterback anymore, but um, with their quarterback, I think that it's just a good combination. I think Jamar is going to be a great leader. I think that he's really going to to push Cincinnati to new levels. And once he's out of his rookie contract, he's definitely a two three hundred million dollar yes. uh, wide receiver. It's going to be there. He'll be there. He'll probably be the highest paid wide receiver at one point in time in his career. Uh, I, I do want to take us back to the end of last year. There was a lot of heat on the coach. I think his name is Zach uh, Taylor yeah. there for Cincinnati. They thought he was doing such a horrible job of bungling that team and bungling yeah. the number one draft pick, uh, you know, leaving him out there just to get annihilated, uh, you know, and so Joe Burrows. And he, he almost got fired at the end of year one. You introduce into that mess one wide receiver, and this year they're the talk of the town. I mean, they are what probably five and three, uh, five and two, a great record. They're doing, um, um, they're one of the favorites now to win, right? Uh, the, the the their division with the Cleveland. I know they got beat by Cleveland quite well last week, but nonetheless, there's yeah. a feel good story. The coach is doing well, Joe Burrows is doing well. The yeah. only difference is you added a really good receiver, and that right. makes the quarterback receiver combo click. That makes the offense clicks. That makes the entire city click. And so I think Jamar Chase is a is a great pick there for rookie of the year all right yeah defensive Go. player of the year i don't care i don't like miles garrett i know he is probably going to win it 12 sacks 12 tackles for losses so far at this point in time he is a dominant force uh i i like tj watt because i i like it when you keep it in the family his brother won defensive player of the year so that's going to make for really fun uh you know thanksgiving dinner but uh, Adam, do you have any thoughts on defensive player of the year? Do they even still play defense in the NFL? Kind, kind mm, a little bit. Um, you know, Aaron Donald, defensive line for um, for the Rams, I think could be a good content. Again, like I don't know, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. Let's throw those guys in the mix. Like it's you yes. know, Jalen Ramsey, right? He's doing a great job. Um, now Don Donaldson is not going to win. You mentioned him for the Rams. That's a little bit of voter fatigue. He is the most dominant defensive player, right, in recent memory. And it's, it's kind of like LeBron James was in the NFL and Michael Jordan. After a while, right. it's like we we hold him to a different standard. So yes, right. he's incredible. He's great. But is he above and beyond how his usual greatness is? No. So he's just playing average yeah. this year by his own standards. So we're not going right. to give it to him. When so average is his standard versus his average is still better than exactly. any day of the week for like uh, Devin White or or Von Miller or like Daniel yes. Hunter or something like that. Like it's just it's not even there. But you know, Trayvon Diggs has done some things in Dallas that could be considered. Um, That's DPOI. another turnaround project there. Right. That so I think I mean it, it. Nobody cares. Like at the end of the day, like nobody cares. No, nobody even cares about defense nowadays. So who right. cares about defensive player of the year? Right. I'm going to tell you my next award here is that I I um this is another soapbox soapbox moment for me. It's the comeback player of the year. This is a ridiculous award. This is insanely stupid. Here's what I'm talking about. I did some research. Everyone is picking Dak Prescott Dak, to yeah. win comeback player of the year. 
No, I no. hate this award. This award should not go to whoever came back from an injury. Yes, we know you were injured last year. You missed all of last year. Stop crying. And so now you're not injured. That does not mean you actually figured out how to play well again and work through all your difficulties as a player. No, a comeback player should be a player who was good, then stunk it up because he forgot how to play or some other thing happened to them. And then they came back from that to figure out how to be a good player again. Not just that you were injured and now you are not injured. And so I hate that they do that. Now, right. despite me saying that, last year's winner was different. Last year's winner, they should have retired it. Do you know who won last year? Was it Alex Smith? Alex Smith, who basically yeah. became paralyzed, almost died. Okay, you right. can give that injured player comeback of the year. By the way, what did he get for that heroic effort? He was fired by the Washington football team. And right. now, Washington, where are you now? You're nowhere. nowhere. You are at the bottom. You deserve that for firing Alex Smith. Alex Smith did nothing for you other than give his entire life, risked it for you guys, came back, made the playoffs, and you cut him. But nonetheless, exactly. uh, yeah. Why not? Uh, let's, free up that, <laughs> let's free up that cap space, man. Come on. Alex Smith has gotten the raw end of the deal from so many different places. He's just been a winner wherever he has been. Right. Kansas City actually treated him well. He was a great player. We love him here in Kansas City. He might retire with his number, you know, as a Kansas Cityan. Mm -hmm. uh, we love Alex Smith. I hope he comes back as a as a coach here. Coach, yeah. I mean, it's not his fault that they, they got Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback, but still, he handled that with such grace. He coached up Patrick Mahomes, and boy, does Patrick Mahomes need him back, uh, his tutelage there. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a whole another story. All right, I'm going to get off my comeback player of the year. Despite that, does any other player besides Dak Prescott stand out to you as a comeback player of the year? Um, Not really. Uh, Vaughn Miller, maybe. Um. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm going to really. give it to, I'm going to give it to Joe Burrows. Now Ooh, Joe Burrow I, I almost, would be good, right? Cause Cincinnati's doing so great. Right. I almost don't want to give it to him because he never was that good to begin with, but man, he had a bounce back year from last year being so bad. And so right. maybe he should be a worthy candidate. I don't right. know, but, um, all right. Uh, moving on here, uh, Super Bowl picks. Uh, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, your Super Bowl pick was the Rams. Is that not right? That is exactly correct. Okay. Uh, do you want to move off of that, or are you, are you nope. sticking with your pick? I'm sticking with the Rams, but it's going right. to be tough with Arizona. But I still think it's going to be the Rams. You're, you know what? There's no reason for you to budge off of your pick. I have every reason to budge off of my pick. You do. But I'm not going to do it. I am sticking with my Kansas City Chiefs. And I actually I think it. it's not a heartfelt decision. It actually is based in logic. Um, and that is because our coach, I believe, is a genius. Uh, Andy Reid it knows Andy what he's Reed. doing. He, he coached for, I think, 14 years in Philadelphia. 10-plus years now with Kansas City. He has won every step of the way. He will get right. this figured out. And Andy, I trust. And... Um, uh, so yeah, I, I believe that he'll figure that out. We're going to be back in the Super Bowl, but the, I do recognize that might be my heart talking and not my uh, actual brain. But nonetheless, let's move on now to the college playoffs. 
And so this is week two now of the college playoffs rankings mm-hmm. just came out. Let me review for you the top seven picks, or I'll actually yeah. even go eight. You have Georgia at number one. Number two is Alabama. SEC well represented at the top. Number three then went to Oregon out of the Pac-10. Interesting pick since they really haven't played anybody but Ohio it's State. Anything. And yeah. then a bunch of a bunch of high schools and junior colleges out there in the Pac-12. Uh, number four, you have Ohio State. Which, uh, all right, again, uh, uh, they're behind Oregon, at least I like that for this week. And then five is Cincinnati, sitting there a little. You might all think that's that's a good position for Cincinnati. They're on the door. They're right right on the outside looking in. Not so fast because six and seven are going to be Michigan and Michigan State. Pretty interesting because Michigan lost to Michigan State last week, but now they're ranked ahead of them. I don't understand that. The um, no. but nonetheless, then and that that's six and seven. Number eight then will be Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma is on the uh, the um, is also just looking salivating. All right, so before I break this down and and say and I analyze what this actually means for the final four teams, do you have any thoughts on the the the, the college playoff rankings? It's all made up, and the points don't matter. Like okay. at the end of the day, like I have. The college football playoff is like looking, I don't know, trying to grab smoke. There's no rhyme or reason or or anything about that makes me have any faith that these people are any doing any sort of statistical variations on why these teams belong where they are. So I mean let's 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 play make believe. Like me and you could come up with a college football playoff right, ranking right. that that would be just as legitimate as CFP right now. I agree with that 100%. But my, our, our picking would be way better. We would not put Alabama at number two. Chris, never. why is Alabama number two? I, I decided to look at their schedule. Do you mm-hmm. want to know how many top 10 teams Alabama has beat? I do, but I could tell you the number zero. Zero, none, zip, no top 10 wins. All right, let's, let's take it out now. Do you know okay. how many top 25 teams Alabama has beat? I want to say it's like one or two, but it may be one. zero again. Stop with yeah. one. Don't go yeah. any further. They played two. They played A&M, uh, but they lost to A&M. But right now, uh, Ole Miss is the one team they played in the top 25 that they won. Now, there were other ranked teams that they beat, but those teams are no longer ranked. Like, they started the year with Miami. I, I went looking for Miami in the rankings. Nowhere to be found. Uh, Not even so a little bit. They played some other ranked teams, but those teams ended up being fraudulent. Alabama has one win over a top 25 team, and yet they are ranked number two. That is insane. The only insane. reason why they are doing that is Alabama. And so they said, we want Alabama there. And I think they're doing it because they want to set up where two SEC teams make it into the top, uh, top four at the end of the day. So they have to have them there that high. All right, so let's unpack. What does this actually mean? Let's start at the top. Georgia, Georgia is in, right? Clearly, they went yeah, out. And obviously. They're, yeah, they're, they're the best team out there. So, the, so, number two, there's a big issue then with Alabama. Is Alabama necessarily in if they win out? Yeah, if they win out, they beat Georgia, Alabama's in. I, I will give them that. That is how SEC will get two teams in, is if Alabama beats Georgia, but that's not the reason right. why they put Alabama number two. They put Alabama number two because even if they lose, 
they still might make it if they lose in a really close game. Right. Uh, I agree. I agree. It, it, now they will be playing a couple of ranked teams. They're going to play Auburn in a couple of weeks here. That'll be a ranked team. Then whoever they play in the SEC championship game also will be a ranked team as well. Uh, so they will get some ranked teams on their schedule, uh, but that basically is it. But Alabama, I think if they win out, of course they're in, if they lose in a close game to in the SEC to Georgia in the SEC championship game, then they will be in as well. All right. right. Number three. Oregon. All right. They win and they are in. We, we, do we agree with that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't know why, but I think they have a number three and they want a pack 12 team in there. That's the West coast. They don't want to lose the entire West coast in the playoffs. They want that population, that ratings. And so I think that's why they have Oregon so high. Plus Oregon did beat Ohio state. So I'm going to give them the, yeah. the committee kudos for that. At least they have them ranked above Ohio State. We can't say the same thing for why they ranked Michigan over Michigan State when Michigan beat Michigan State a week and a half ago. But nonetheless, um, uh, Oregon, if they win, they're in. That much is done. That takes us to number four, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State. Ohio State. The Ohio State University. Let's unpack that. Now, obviously... Is it's too easy to say if if they win, they are in. That's too easy. But Much here's easier. the deal: Does that spot firm up a spot for the Big Ten? Could you have three Big Ten teams fighting now for that one spot? And I think the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State is now in the um uh, the championship game. A- any thoughts on that? No, I totally oh, agree with in, you on in that In the playoffs, one. in the top four. In the, yeah, no, I'm in the playoffs. But I also think that it's not going to be Ohio State. I think it's going to be um, Michigan State. But that's just that's okay. that's my hot take from it. I don't I don't think I don't think the blue or the red are going to make it in. I think it's going to be Michigan State's green taking it all the way. Now here's an interesting thought. Let's say that Ohio State loses to Michigan State, mm-hmm. and then Ohio State beats or, or, or loses to Michigan. All Who right. is in? I guess that would be Michigan State. Then uh, I'm just Michigan any- State beat Michigan. I don't. I, I don't think Michigan State should be seven. Michigan State should be six, and Michigan should be seven. You do not get to be ranked higher than a team that beat you. Right. If Michigan wins out and Michigan State wins out, then who is going to be? I think if that happens, they will flip them and they will put Michigan State above Michigan uh, at the end of the day. Uh, surely they would. They would flip them at the end of the day if. If, um, if they both went out, uh, that would be interesting because right. Michigan State would then play in the championship game, uh, you know, in the Big Ten, and then of course they they'd have to win that game as well. We have fun debating these and talking about these, but obviously anything can happen. But right. I think those three teams, I think most legal experts will say the Big Ten has one spot wrapped up for this sure. All, for sure, for sure. That all leads us to this one spot. Cincinnati can you got Cincinnati and you have Oklahoma which one is going to be in will Cincinnati make it will Oklahoma make it now uh let's analyze Cincinnati's uh what they they face they don't have any real teams left that they have to play they have nope. a very weak schedule they'll have yep. a championship game against nobody against, right. against a local junior college and so right. they have got to start winning impressively if they want to get that spot, I think they do have a path now towards the, um, the to be in the top uh, four. That right. path is blow out city, blow out all the teams you play, 
and then hope for Alabama to lose. Because if Alabama loses convincingly to Georgia, they will be knocked out. That will open up a spot. Oregon losing will open up a spot. I think the the Big Ten already has a spot locked up. Uh, So I think they would, Cincinnati is in if they win convincingly and either Alabama loses convincingly or, um, or Oregon stumbles their their foot. Any thoughts on that? I am bothered by the fact that Cincinnati has to win convincingly. Like Cincinnati should just have to win like every other team in the world. Right. But as we've seen from these delusional CFP rankings, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Right, Alabama could lose every game, and they'll still be number two. Right, right. And so I, I think, look, I think Cincinnati, if they go through and they go undefeated this season, it's going to be a difficult discussion to say they're not in the CFP. I don't care if they played St. Mary's School for the Blind fourteen times and won fourteen right. times. Right. Doesn't matter. Your record is your record. If you have a problem with the teams they play, college football, get your act together and start creating an actual system of playoffs that makes sense. Don't just yes. do all this like hodgepodge. Um, but also, as we've discussed, the NCAA is a giant money maker, so they don't care about CFP. They care about who's going to tune in on ratings, who's going to yes. buy swag, who's going to do all this stuff. It's the same reason why the Rose Bowl is never going to change. You think the city of Pasadena is ever going to give up the Rose Bowl? Hell no. It is a tradition to come there for the Rose Day Parade, the Rose Bowl, the whole nine yards. Nobody cares who's in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. They don't give a crap. Like, right, right. They're still going to do it. So yep. I think if Cincinnati goes undefeated this season, which isn't, I don't know, out of the question at this point, then they should be in the CFP. Like they should be in the top four. Like no one else is going to have an undefeated record at that point. Now I will throw one other team out there that I think will leapfrog Cincinnati. So even though Cincinnati is five, I think actually they are six. And here is why Oklahoma. Oklahoma is ranked eighth right now. So only a couple spots behind them, but Oklahoma is going to finish out this year playing Oklahoma state Baylor. Both of those are ranked and Iowa state who is considered a very strong (laughs) team. And then they're going to play a championship game against another ranked team. So if Oklahoma wins out, they will have four or five quality wins. That's going to leapfrog them over Cincinnati. So I think I think Cincinnati really has to hope for an Oklahoma stumble, which is possible, but they need that, and an Oregon stumble and an Alabama stumble. If those things happen, though, right. I think Cincinnati is in. Unfortunately, they did not control their own destiny, and they had to do what they can by winning impressively. All right, right, enough college football poll. We will we'll keep following the college playoff poll just because that's what they want us to do. They want us to debate this and generate controversy and interest. So we're going to talk about it. And maybe one of these days, my Nebraska Cornhouse girls will find their way in. All right, let's do our picks now for this week. Get them on the record. Uh, Chris, I'm just going to throw this out there for the listeners because I know they want to know. This is our section. We're trying to convince the young kiddos not to gamble, but no. my season total so far is 30 and 15. I was three and two last week, lost a couple really close ones again, but nonetheless, I did lose them. I am 30 and 15. I stand at $650. You're not doing too bad. You are, you have picked up last week. You are now 24 and 19. So you're at $550. So we are both okay. up. We are leading people astray, Chris. We've got to start losing these picks. <laughs> so let me go ahead and give you my picks right now. I um, I analyzed these. I studied. I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to go with six picks here, but I'm just going to put them out there. Falcons 
plus nine. Wow. The Cowboys, I think the Falcons are a good team. They have a good quarterback. They have found their groove of late. I am not a big fan of the Cowboys coach. Not at all. So I think that's a huge spread. Nine points, a huge spread in the NFL. I'm taking the Falcons to a cover. Jags, Colts. Now, I should not be taking this game. This would be the one I should leave off. I'm going to take it. My gut tells me that Urban Meyer is Ooh. figuring things out on the fly. I've never been a big Colts fan. Uh, I think they're a decent team. They're going to win a close game. But, Chris, this is a 10.5-point spread. That is a huge spread huge in the NFL. Huge spread. I think Urban Meyer is figuring things out. I, I could be really um, egg on my face with this one. Again, I'm going with the Jags to cover. Next one, I am doing Love a that. provisional. I am going to pull this next one if a certain thing doesn't happen. But I am taking the Packers. They are three-point favorite over the Seahawks. I am assuming that your anti-boy Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be taking the Packers um, uh, minus the three over the Seahawks. The Chiefs and Raiders. It's the Raiders. We cannot stand the Raiders. The Chiefs are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking the Chiefs to win against the Raiders, and they'll they'll cover that two-and-a-half-point spread as well. But uh, do you see then, the over-under on the Chiefs-Raiders game? What is it? 52.5. 52. Oh, that's good news. That means that the Vegas thinks the Chiefs have figured things out right. on offense. Right. I, I hope so. I hope that is right. Uh, and so I'm going to take the Chiefs. I think they are starting to click, and I think you're going to see them much better. It's the Raiders. If we can't get up for the Raiders, right. we don't deserve to be playing. Uh, I'm going to now take two college games. Michigan is okay. even up with Penn State. I, I think uh, I, I know the tendency of Harbaugh. Now that he's in the conversation, he'll find a way to lose. I, I think it will not be this week. He'll find a way to beat the Penn State. That's an even-up matchup. I'm it taking Michigan. Finally, I'm going to take Purdue to cover. Ohio State is a 20-point favorite. Chris, who has Ohio State beaten convincingly yet? I'm not sure they've beaten anyone convincingly. And the 20-point spread over Purdue. This week, I am taking a lot of the huge underdogs. I'm taking yet again. I'm taking Purdue to cover Oh, you got to take Purdue. Well, Purdue's coming off that huge victory, right? Purdue's been... Purdue smashed on Michigan State. They smashed on Iowa. Like they're the Boilermakers are doing something here. Yes, I, I like their chances. I, they're a good team. They I, I saw so. them up close against Nebraska. They're a good team. I think twenty points is a huge spread there. I'm taking Purdue to cover. All right, what are your picks? All right, I'm gonna start with college football. Alabama versus New Mexico State, and the only that. reason, the only reason I'm taking this is because Alabama is favored by 51.5 points, I with an that. over under of 67.5 points. Wow! Right. So the odds maker think that New Mexico, um, New Mexico is gonna only score in the realm of. 14 to 15 points to meet right. the over under. Um, I, I'm going to say Alabama is going to win. That's the easy part of this. Um, but Alabama is going to not cover. They are not right. going to win by 51 points. You're taking New Mexico state, right? So I need New Mexico to win or I need Alabama to win by less than 50 points. <laughs> Let's assume you're, you're actually thinking that's going to happen. You're not actually thinking New Mexico state is going to win. No, but yes, I don't think New Mexico. Are you taking the over? Nothing. 
Are you taking the over-under? I'm not even going to touch that. I don't even, okay. like, for all I know, New Mexico State, like, Alabama could get bored and throw in some, you know, new players to figure it out. New Mexico could go on a 25-point run, and right. Alabama could still have 50 points in the game, but the over-under could be in the late 70s. So I'm not even going to touch touch going yes. there. All right, um, All right. And then we got my favorite is going to be the University of Utah versus the University of Arizona Wildcats, who are a okay. gripping one in eight this year. Wow. Utah is favored by 24.5 points. Wow. 24.5. So I'm going to go, obviously, with Utah for the win, but I'm not going to, I don't think they're going to cover it. You're taking Arizona. To I'm going to co- take right. Arizona to lose by 24 points. All right. All right, wow. so so that's where I'm at with that. Uh, let's go. Let's go NFL Rams Niners. You know this hurts. You know this hurts me, Joel, because the Niners are just not doing great. Uh, Rams are favored by four. They're going to win and they're going to cover. Okay. And the over under is forty nine point five. So I'm going to take the over because the the Niners did have some good scoring against the Cardinals. Um, so I think the Rams and the Niners are going to have a good scoring game. It's just the Rams are going to win by more than four. Okay. I got Panthers at Cardinals. This should be an easy one for all of you who've been listening. The Cardinals are going to win. The Cardinals are favored by 10. They are going to cover. Um, and the, the over-under is 44.5. They are going to go with the over. So you're taking both the over and the Cardinals to cover. Plus 10. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Seahawks Packers. Yep. I'm going to go with Seahawks. Looks like Russell Wilson's coming back into the game. Rumors on the wires. And if there's that slight chance that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play, I don't know how well the team is going to congeal after he lied about being immunized after he's been a, a complete jerk this entire season. I'm going to, I'm going to think the hopefully the Packers are going to start falling apart, but that's because, you know, I don't like Aaron Rodgers. All right. You're taking the, um, the, the Seahawks in that game. Seahawks to win Seahawks to All win right. outright. Not even a, not even a score coverage. And then okay. last, lastly, saints, Titans, Titans are, um, Three points favored. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Titans to just win um, and cover the spread. You're taking the Titans. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, there you go. Those are our picks for this week. We will see how well we do. We seem to be on a winning streak of late. I did listen to a national professional pick company. That's all they do. This is from Vegas. And they do their, their, they were bragging about their 550 winning percentage. Uh, basically, fifty-five winning percentage. You and I are killing that. We are blowing right. them out with our oh, winning cool. percentages. Maybe we should be going national with these picks. We could be making people a ton of money until they do actually take us at our word, and then they'll lose all their money. But nonetheless, hey, so far we are doing well. Let's ride this horse until it is all done. All right, right. there you go. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week, Chris. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. All right, love it. Have a great week too, Joel. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs> <laughs>